Big Nasty. Yeah, Big Nasty. All fame, Tampa Bay Buccaneer fan, baby. This is Mike Allstott, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and you're listening to the Cannon Fire Podcast. Cannon Fire Podcast, brother. When you hear the sound of the drum, we'll be saying, here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new edition of the Cannon Fire Podcast. Coming back at you today for episode number 84. Buccaneers just lost in embarrassing fashion to the New Orleans Saints at home. And right now they're facing another division opponent who is red hot for some reason. A 1-7 football team that came out and beat two of the best teams the NFC South has to offer back-to-back. So, of course, we have to see what version of that Atlanta team we're going to get this weekend. But welcome back to the show. Today, we're going to preview that game, and we're going to be answering some questions that you guys submitted via our Instagram page. If you're new around here, I am your host, as always, Rhett Matthew. Joined alongside me, as always, my good buddy and co-host. Welcome back, Mr. Bucks football, Evan Wanish. Evan, first off, how was your vacation, dude? Uh, Too short? Is yeah. That- is that, is, that a, for, is that a good response? Um, no, like you were gone it, it was for a good. long time. Good. We missed you. Yeah. Missed you. Hey, I, uh, I I appreciate you know I appreciate you know uh, Guru Speaks uh, podcast filling in, James filling in. Um, I appreciate everybody you know help me out. Like I said, um, I knew it was going to be a struggle for me to be able to record, so I I really appreciate those guys uh, stepping in, and both of them did a great job. So. Absolutely. Love having those guys on the show, but for them to come in and fill in, take up that co-host chair, really was a great job. So thank you to James, and like you said, Guru Speaks as well. So today we've got a busy show. We're going to do some pregame, and we're going to go over the questions, of course. Uh, but like I just mentioned, the main focus of this weekend is the Bucks taking on an Atlanta Falcons team that was 1-7, and and then basically embarrassed the Saints, which is something nobody expected them to do. And then a week after that, while we were getting spanked by New Orleans, they embarrassed Carolina in Carolina. So the reason, I mean, at least what's being pointed to is the reason as to why they've had this late season success is uh, just a shift of personnel on the defensive side of the ball. And that was Raheem Morris kind of stepping into a different role on defense. I mean, can we equate that to all of their success? Like, what's going on, dude? Because... I mean, we waited all year to face these guys. We've been better than them all year. Now we're finally last place yeah. in the NFC South. But, I mean, they turned it on 
Is it simply because of this one move, or is there other stuff behind the scenes we don't know about? I I think it's a little bit of both. I, I do think that Raheem, uh, I, he's a good defensive mind. He, he just is. Yeah. Um, there was a reason that like the Bucks hired him as their head coach is because the Glazers didn't want to let him go. Right, there were teams interested in interviewing him, and the Glazers did not want him to leave. So they sort of panicked and made that move. Uh, you know, but also they're just hot right now. Right, it's just a football team that's just playing well. They're playing with confidence, and normally you wouldn't see that in a team that was, you know, two weeks ago one and seven. Uh, I mean, they allowed nine points to the Saints. Yeah, uh, nine points to the Saints, three points to the Panthers. Those are the two. Those are the two best teams. Right in, in the NFC South, and both those games were on the road for those for those guys for the Falcons. Yeah. So, um, you know, they played in a couple of close games here, but like look at the Falcons. I mean, they got like pretty much beat by the Vikings Week One. They beat Philly, and then they lost a close one to Indy. Um, got beat by Tennessee. Got crushed by Houston. Houston put up fifty three on them. Uh, be uh, lost to Arizona, but you know that was the Matt Bryant when he missed the extra point. Um, got killed by the Rams, lost to the Seahawks by seven, and then just had these two games. Um, so really, I mean, they should be a little bit better than than the record shows. Um, right. I think they're actually a pretty good football team. I don't watch enough Falcons football to know why they're three and seven. On paper, I mean, I think they're a playoff contender on paper. But like I said, that's on paper. Right. Um, and as you know, as we know from watching like a lot of Bucks football, is that you know sometimes a team can look great on paper, but it just doesn't play out. You know, right now I think you're looking at the Cleveland Browns like that. The Cleveland Browns are basically like the Bucks were like before what was it 2017 um, when you know the Bucks got Deshaun Jackson and Chris Baker and OJ Howard, Chris Godwin. And, you know, there was a lot of, you know, they're coming off a 9-7 and seven season. They're on hard knocks, a lot of hype, and just didn't live up to it. But the reason there was a lot of hype was because on paper. So yeah. um, just look at this Falcons team. Like, they're they're stacked. However, the injuries are mounting for them. Uh, that was a, that's was that been a big concern for them the past few seasons, and I think that really derailed them last year. Yeah, uh, Like, they had major injuries in almost every part of their defense last year. And then also on offense, along the offensive line, um, a few other things. But, um, like, they're going to be without Austin Hooper. They're starting tight end this weekend. Uh, and they also had, like, Bucks had a long injury report, but the Falcons' injury report was, like, way long. So, yeah. uh, But to go back to the original question, I mean, I think Raheem's a good defensive mind, so I think, like, this is where he belongs. Um, but I just think it's just a matter of just – catching the Falcons at the wrong time, just yeah, unfortunately. So Definitely. And, I mean, it seems like it would be the Bucks thing to do to catch a not-so-great football team at the wrong time. But, uh, of course, it'll make for an interesting game because I'm sure, as we have seen, whenever the Bucks and Falcons play, it's typically a high-scoring affair. Yep. So I'm assuming this Sunday we're going to see a little bit more of that. But before we go over this game, we do have some questions that I wanted to get into to really open up the show Kind of welcome you back, get you into the groove of things. I know you've been watching Bucks football, so it's not like you're out of the groove of things. But watching it, it in the uh, in the the freaking Philly weather, yeah, yeah, the fifty degrees, dude. The the stadium. If you guys don't know, I was at the both games. I was at the Arizona game and the Saints game. Yeah, so we at this, did, we did meet up at the Arizona game. Yeah, uh, but I wasn't able to make it out to the Saints game. So at the Arizona game, 
So in the years of the game, like, had to pour literally a bottle of water, had to buy a bottle of water and pour it on our heads because it was so hot. In the Saints game, the stadium started to run out of blankets. Um, they were selling so much. Every time I walked by a team store, I swear, there must have been three, four people at a time buying blankets. Uh, you know, I'd be fine with that weather. Normally, I don't complain about the cold, but that's like here, right, like in Philly. <laughs> Don't really expect that weather in Tampa, so um, a little bit, a uh, little bit crazy, I guess I could say. Yeah, that's the beautiful thing about Florida weather. Tampa, in particular, was the uh, the Arizona game that morning. It was crisp, it was nice. You had a good breeze rolling in, and then right around game time, one o'clock, is when it really got hot. And it's crazy because the forecast still said like seventy six degrees. And even though the for uh, even though the forecast said seventy six degrees, when you're in that stadium, the wind's not coming in, and the sun is right on top of you, it ended up being a little bit of a hotter one. I didn't make it out to the Saints game, but it was a cold day out in Dunedin, uh, so I have no wor- or I have uh, no doubts that it was cold in the stadium that day. The wind was just uh, unreal. Yeah, the wind is what gets you, man. Because yeah. like you said, it's you know it's not Philly cold, it's Florida cold, and the worst thing about Florida cold is that the temperature drops, yeah, so if it's a 55-degree day, the humidity is there as well. And when the humidity and the wind mix up, it makes for a pretty cold afternoon, especially once you get that wind hitting you in the face, dude, it's pretty brutal. But enough about the Tampa weather. I'm sure it was great, and it's going to be great because it's nice and cold still. Let's get into these questions. The first one that I have doesn't come from anyone that was submitted to us, but it comes to a guy on Twitter and uh, you and I kind of went back and forth only a little bit in this one because I wanted to uh. save it for the show. Now, this tweet comes from our buddy Stank Bastard. He hosts a little show called the Buck and Idiots Podcast. If you're into the uh, just the really funny, good time stuff, definitely check out Stank. And Stank, by the way, man, your support on Twitter does not go unnoticed. All the retweets and the likes here and there, thanks for your support, bro. Stank Bastard, a really, really cool guy in the Buccaneers community. He posed a question, and he said... If you had to choose between a shutdown corner and a 10-plus sack defensive end, who are you going to pick and why? I said, I'm going to take a shutdown corner all day every day, simply because of the fact that the Buccaneers secondary is dead last in the league in between all five of our defensive backs. They've got two years' experience between all of them. I don't count Ryan Smith as a defensive back, so maybe I'll take him out of there. But, yes, I'm going corner. But you said... Football starts in the trenches, and you're taking a 10-plus sack defensive end. We already do have a 10-plus sack defensive end, by the way. His name is Shaq Barrett. He's great. But I'm assuming he posed the question as if we're asking this at the end of the season, right? Do you have to let Shaq Barrett go to bring in a shutdown corner? If that's the situation, Evan, why are you picking a defensive end over a shutdown corner? Because I thought I thought we agreed that we need help in the secondary more than anywhere else, but I'm I'm interested to hear. Well, I, I just look at it as my philosophy of building a football team. Right. It's not so much of a, a Bucks thing. It's just a a thing that I feel like every team you need to have good offensive line, good defensive line, a good quarterback. 
Like those three things, if you have that, everything else should hopefully fall into place. And, you know, I understand that the Buccaneers need some help in the secondary. I'm not saying they don't. And I also recognize that the Bucs already have a 10-sack guy in Shaq Barrett. They had a 10-sack guy last year in Jesus Pierre Paul. I'm not, like, denying that. But you can't tell me that constant, like, has the Buccaneers, let me ask you a question. Has okay. the Buccaneers' pressure this season been consistent? It's been all Shaq Barrett. I'll agree. Yeah, I'll meet okay. you there. Without Shaq Barrett having, what is it, 12 and a half sacks? I, I think it's 11 and a half right now. Without him being there, this Bucks defensive line as a whole has 11 sacks yep. on the year, which is probably dead last in the league. I don't have the chart in front of me, but I'm going to assume that it is. So, you know, I am with you. Without him, they don't have a rush. And uh, consistency has not been on their side because they've looked good. They've looked damn good. And then Mm -hmm. they've looked like they did against the Saints when we played them both times where (laughs) they just got absolutely shut down and there was nothing there. Well, and that's the thing I brought up to you on Twitter. You know, I said, you know, maybe a a pass rush. Like, on on Sunday versus the Saints, Ndamukong Zoo, Vita Vea, Shaq Bear and Jason Pierre-Paul combined for two quarterback hits. Not not sacks, hits. They got to the quarterback and they hit him. They didn't sack him, they just hit him. I'm also looking it. at that quarterback who is Drew Brees. And I mean, he if anyone is good at getting the ball out of the pocket when it needs to be there quickly, it's Drew Brees. Still though, man, like... That situation, I hope you're secondary out. Like that's like that's where like in inexperience. Look at I'm gonna bring up the Eagles. The Eagles in their Super Bowl year, right? 2017. Yep. 2017, 2018, I think. Right. Their secondary was probably the weakest part of their whole team, and it didn't matter. You know why? Because their pass rush was so good. Right. It, it shadowed a weak secondary because the pass rush was there. It, it hid. That weak secondary because the pass rush was there. That's what a good pass rush, I believe, does to your defense, right? If you can get a consistent rush with four guys, you're going to be able to do that. And also, we can look at, you know, like a lot of different things. How many of Shaq Barrett's sacks have come off blitzes, you know? Right. Uh, you know, are, are they just four, you know, four linemen rushing? You know, that's like things you have to look at. So, I do believe that they need a number one corner. I'm not saying they don't. I'm just saying that in a team-building philosophy, you take the 10-sack guy and you have to figure out the secondary later because in the NFL, trenches and quarterback, is it's the most important thing. If you, if you don't have – you can have the best secondary in the world. Guess what? If the quarterback sits there with five, six, seven seconds each time, it's not going to matter. So um, I, I just – I really think that um, – and we've seen in the past that it doesn't matter, right? If you have a great pass rush but a weak secondary, we've seen that a great pass rush can actually affect the quarterback more than a strong secondary and no pass rush, right? Right, like yeah. Tom, Tom Brady. Tom Brady would pick this defense apart, right? Uh, if, if Shaq Barrett's not getting there, you know, if Shaq Barrett wasn't even on a team, like you said, they wouldn't have many sacks, right? Well, and that's how the Bucks almost beat them when we played them on Thursday Night Football just a few seasons ago was yeah, that pass rush was getting there, and they you hit have Brady. To hit him. 
Yeah. You have to hit it. If you don't hit him, you're done. It, yeah. it does not matter. So, yeah, you can have a great secondary and all that. If Brady has time to sit back there and do whatever he wants to do, it, it does not matter who you have in your secondary. It, it just doesn't. I understand. I, I think in this point in particular, and I'm totally not disagreeing with you because I agree with you 110%, football does start in the trenches, and that's kind of where we are right now with looking at this Bucks team. Heading into the offseason, you're going to need some help on the uh, on the offensive line as well. That's kind of yeah. I mean, I don't think people realize how much like they're going to need some help, more help on the defensive line too. Yeah. Like I seriously yeah. hope even even if they bring back Shaq Barrett, Jason Pierre-Paul, Carl Nassib, even if they bring back all three of those guys, you still you got to add more. No, you just, you're you not. Add. You're not wrong at all. You really are not. But I, I'm looking at. I guess I'm looking at it from a perspective of what the team needs right now. If I had to pick one of those two things right now with the way that these teams sit at 3-7, and seven, I'm going to pick a corner because it's just been the biggest gripe all season is that these young guys need some help back there. And again, I think I said it before. They don't need a superstar. They just need someone who knows what they're doing. But if you can give me a shut-down corner, then you're going to see those young guys develop and grow much faster than you would with just some average Joe off of uh, free agency over the offseason. You, you know how else you know how else you could see those young guys grow? If the front seven is able to get to the quarterback and make their jobs easier. Yeah, yeah they it forces bad decisions, you know, tip balls, stuff like that. Um, just does, you know. And, and honestly, and we've seen it on the the offensive side for Tampa a lot, right? Yeah. If a you know if a quarterback's running for his life the entire game, he's bound to make a bad decision every now and then, force something, uh, get rid of something too quick, whatever, right? Yeah. Um, not wrong. And that's just and and the biggest thing is, you know, they can they get there? That's like that. That's why I basically chose it, right? Is I don't believe that they can get there consistent consistently with a four man pass rush. Yeah. Every time, like their one sack on Sunday was a safety blitz from Mike Edwards, and he got there. Yeah, like that was it. Like, and and that was only because if you look, if you looked, Taysom Hill had one read. The read wasn't open, and then he just held onto the ball. Like that. That's what it was. They just they had no pass rush on Sunday, and that didn't help out the young secondary whatsoever. I get you, man. Now. A great question posed by our friend Stank and uh, something that opens up a good discussion. So if you guys have an opinion on that, leave it down in the comments below if you're watching on YouTube. Um, or you can send us a message on any of our social pages. Now, let's jump on to the questions that were submitted via our Instagram page like I brought up a little earlier. If you ever want to submit questions in the future, you can follow us there at Cannon Fire Podcast. And uh, yeah, let's get into it. So the first one's kind of a funny question brought up by our friend Muscle Mills is the username. And it has to do with what you said about the Arizona game, how once you're sitting in the stadium, the sun's right on top of you, it gets pretty damn hot, even on a 75-degree day. His question is, will Raymond James Stadium ever get a cover? Is it going to get a dome? Will it get a damn tarp from Walmart to cover up that brutal Florida sun? And uh, this is more of a hypothetical one, not one that we're going to have a definitive answer to, but it's a funny thought. I honestly hope it's something they think about. I, I know... I think before this season had started, people had tossed around how Raymond James has been around for a little while. Maybe the Bucks are going to be plotting a new stadium within the next ten years. I I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think if they, James, if they didn't just if they didn't just do all those renovations, I would say yeah. But that, they yeah, spent a ton I mean, of money on res renovations. You're still going to have a Super Bowl hosted there next year, and I 
feel good about the stadium. It's a good stadium, but I, I agree a hundred percent. I think they need a roof. <laughs> like, I like the Dolphins. I like Hard Rock Stadium. Yeah, uh, it's it's open. It's not a roof, but it, it protects the fans from the heat. Right. Um. So that's nice. I would go with that one. I think they will eventually do it. Honestly, not like I'm not saying next year. Like maybe like five years down the line. No, I, um, I like uh, eventually I do believe that they'll end up doing something like that. I don't think it'll be like a dome, uh, but I think it'll be either like a retractable roof or I honestly think it'll end up being something like the Dolphins to where they can just add to Raymond James Stadium, not really have to build a, a whole nother thing. So I think that's a good approach to it as well, because, it, you know, if you do go a full dome, you not only take away that element of the weather, um, but you kind of take away something that, I think the Bucks are conditioned for more than any other team in the NFL, and that's just that hot, humid heat, especially during the early months of the season mm-hmm. in September and sometimes October because it stays hot in October. But, yeah, like that's been something about the Bucks I mean, we've been saying you, for years. You're an East Coast the, team. You're an East Coast team. You come down here in December, it's hot. You know? Yeah, yeah. So for a lot of those teams that play up north most of the time and really yep. get the cold early – that's a major disadvantage coming to Tampa, just like they did to Arizona, right? Made them wear all their red uniforms, so they're out there sweating it out. I, mean, I get the approach you're taking, and I think when you structure it that way, especially bringing up Hard Rock Stadium in particular, I like the idea of doing that roof that keeps us in the shade because, to be frank, that's what I'm worried about. I'm worried I about mean, the guys on the field, but the yeah. weather is definitely a big advantage when you're a uh, when you're the Bucks team playing at home and it's hot outside. That's the, that's it. <laughs> the whole the whole like the Bucks like wearing like white or whatever against the Cardinals, I didn't really understand it because you were red against the 49ers. You were red against the Giants. Like okay, you like that, that that's your, your your two hottest games. Right. You you were red and then You know what these, that shows you, me though? You know what, what? that shows me? Shows me the Bucks are undefeated at home when they wear their all whites. I don't know about you, but uh, Actually, I haven't lost a game this year wearing white be, at home. Are are they undefeated wearing all? No, no, they they, they were all white in Seattle. Um, I was trying to and, and in Tennessee, they haven't worn white on pewter at all. No, they um, haven't. I honestly, I think they ditched that altogether. Which I think they might have too. I, I don't I, know, man. I like that. I, a lot I can't. Better than I can't remember the last time. It, I think it was last year. Sometime they wore it, but yeah. Um. Yeah. I don't think they. Yeah. Who knows? Um. Still waiting for the the red on the white, but we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Those need to make a return definitely sometime soon. So let's get into these questions. We have got some good ones brewed up for you, and the first one coming out is from Josh Twenty Two Murphy. We had Muscle Mills, so Josh Twenty Two Murphy is up next. He said, how do you feel about how good Devin White has been for us? And uh, I, I like Devin White. I, I think he's really redeemed himself from earlier this season because he did have the slow start, played sick as a dog in the San Francisco game, and then got injured in the Carolina game, missed some action, came back, was activated for that one game, and then didn't play at all, if I remember correctly. Yep. And people kind of started to get worried. I remember, you know, Everybody's going to toss out that our rookie is a bust six weeks into the season because oh, that's of what course. they do. They did it with I love Vita that. Vea. It, you know, that's what people are going to do. Vita Vea didn't even touch the field. Right, yeah. But, um, no, I think he's really come around as a player. And I know a few weeks ago I was upset with him because of his sloppy tackling, specifically in Seattle. Um, but I still think he's a great player. And he, he's been sideline to sideline all over the field when he needs to. He finished with what, like? 12 tackles last Sunday? 
Yeah, I think it was 12. Yeah. He's been a tackling machine. And uh, with him playing next to Levante David, those guys are doing a pretty good job of keeping things under wraps when, of course, the play doesn't blow up and go 50 yards down the field. But uh, I-, I like the way he's come out and the way he's been playing, man. You can you can sort of sense that he's starting to get the hang of it, um, just like each week, like he's just starting to become just like you said, like a tackling machine. Uh, I, I think I saw something like he missed. What do you miss? Basically the whole Carolina game. Yeah, the second Carolina game basically missed the Giants game, missed the Rams game, and was active for the Saints game but didn't play. So that was, I'm gonna say Carolina Giants Rams. Say that's four games he didn't play. Okay, I'm just going to say he played a little bit in Carolina, but he got, like, out in the first quarter. So, um, I think it was right before that rain delay was when they, like, I, I think, ruled yeah. him hurt. And that was, like, like five minutes in. So, yeah, um, it was really quick. Uh, so, I think he has, like, over – he has over 50 tackles already. And he missed four games. So, you know, yeah, I think you got to hope that, like, you know, in the future, when he has those four games back, those 50 tackles might go up to, you know, 60, 65, something like that, you know? Yeah. Uh, 70, getting into, like, the 70 range, right? Um, I mean, yeah, he's, he's he's been coming along very nice. Uh, I, I think I, I think a lot of Bucks fans had sort of, I think, wrong expectations for him because I think they were so excited for him because I think a lot of people sort of pegged him as like one of the guys to where like immediately when you put him in, he's going to be like a star, like defense rookie of the year candidate. I also think to kind of add on to that, not only did they have those high expectations, but people immediately looked at the way that Devin Bush came out and played right off the get go. And you kind of add both of those together. It's going to make a recipe for people to just start doubting this guy way too soon. Yeah, I mean, I just I just think that like they were expecting him to by now. I, I guess they're expecting him to have you know six sacks, five interceptions, you know, seventy tackles. Yeah, I, I don't know, but yeah, I mean, but there were some expectations, and a lot of people picked him to win defensive rookie of the year. Yeah, and you know, like Nick Bosa's got that down locked. Um, so don't like I don't think Devin White's gonna come back unless he goes on an absolute tear. But um, you know, like right now, for what Devin White's doing, the tiny missed, he's right on track. So he he's he's been good. Absolutely. Let's move on to a next question here. It comes from our buddy Dalton. By the way, Dalton just picked up a brand new piece of CFP merchandise. He bought himself a t-shirt. We got it shipped out to him, and he sent us a picture. It looks great, but before we jump into his question, I do want to take this time to remind you guys. Official Cannon Fire Podcast merchandise is on sale right now. You can see it up on your screen if you're watching the YouTube video here. You got the black t-shirt, the red t-shirt, and of course, the CFP stickers. Shirts are $20 a piece. Stickers are 5 bucks for a pack, and... If you buy any t-shirt, I'll throw you some stickers for free. All of those, courtesy of our friends at Pinecrest Printing and Signs. Of course, i got to say some kind words about them before we continue as well. If and also, have... yes, um, go ahead. you get the personalized video message from me. Um, so so Rhett's Rhett handling all them them shirt things. So what I do on my end is uh, you, you know, you'll get a personalized video message from me uh, thanking you for buying a shirt. So that's another perk that you get. Absolutely, you get to hear from Evan and his beautiful face. Of now, course, see, <laughs> that should, should be worth the twenty bucks alone. 
Pinecrest Printing and Signs. If you have an image for your business, podcast, brand, whatever it may be, they're going to get you covered in more ways than one. Creatively, these guys can do it all. If you want to start small, they've got business cards, different packages you can look into buying, different price points, they're going to work with you. Now, if you want to move things up a little bit, they've got apparel. They've got stickers that we're selling. You can do apparel, t-shirts, polo shirts, any type of apparel. They do hats. They do socks. I'm sure they can do anything you need to. If you want something a little bit bigger, you can do a nice banner. Hang that up. Just like the banner that you see over my shoulder every single week here on the show. That is also courtesy of our friends at Pinecrest Printing and Signs. They've been doing a great job helping businesses leap forward with their presentation, and they've been doing it in the Tampa Bay area since 2001. You can give them a call at 813-684-5444, or you can check out the website at pinecrestprinting.com. But a major shout-out to those guys, and thank you so much for being an official sponsor of CFP. Now let's jump into this question. Dalton, HD Jugs on Instagram. He asks us this. In the last nine games, were there any players that we could have picked up to help us? Now, I'm assuming he means before the trade deadline. And I'm also assuming he means someone aside from a Jalen Ramsey, a, a big name that would mm-hmm. obviously help us. I think he's coming at it from the angle of, is there anyone that you see who maybe got picked up by another team or a guy who was just kind of looked at by the Bucks, you know, a name that was tossed around at the time before the deadline that we could have brought in who really could have made a big impact? I mean, I don't know. There's there's a bunch of names that didn't get dealt, you know. Right. Um, Chris Harris Jr. was one of them. Xavier Howard was another. There was a few other guys um, that just didn't get dealt. Um I'm trying to think of free agents too. Like Eric Berry's still out there. Like I think it's pretty clear now that Eric Berry's not like the same Eric Berry because he'd already be signed yeah. by somebody. Um, so like, and I'm just trying to think of different free agents. And really, at the top of my head, just no. Like, like I just don't know. Like obviously, just like you said, like a Jalen Ramsey or something like that. But even like you, you could say, well, Akeem Talib got traded. Yeah, well, Akeem Talib's on IR and he's not going to play it down for the Dolphins. So, right. um, like whatever. Yeah. Um, that would have done you no good. You, you acquire a player that's not even playing. Uh, Dolphins just did that for the salary. Um, I, I don't know. Like that, that's a good question. Um, off the top of my head, there's nobody that like didn't come with a high price tag. Yeah, that I can like. Javion Clowney got traded during the season. That was a high price tag. Jalen Ramsey got traded during the season. That was a high price tag. Um, Larry McTunzel, Kenny Stills, both high price tags. <sighs> I can't really think. Maybe a guy like a little pass rush help, like Jernard Avery from the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, um, he got traded to the Eagles. Um, they weren't really playing him at all in Cleveland. Um, I think one year, I'm going to double check this. I think one year he actually had a decent amount of sacks. Um, but yeah, we, I, I can see the angle you're taking. Cause of course we brought up earlier in that discussion. It would just uh, be some help. Just some right, help. Yeah. You know? The more just, rotational just, just guys, more depth. Yeah. the more rotational guys you can get in there to make it easier, less reps for your guys who are out there most of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it always helps to have that, especially yeah. so, if he's a guy so who right potentially now, make a big Avery's, Avery's 24 years old. Um, 
He's listed a linebacker, but outside linebacker pretty much. Uh, last year was his rookie year. Okay, he had four and a half sacks, okay. and then this year in Cleveland they just didn't play him. Like they just didn't play him. So he's a half sack with Philly now. Um, he's been playing a little bit more with Philly, but yeah, I mean, I think Philly got him for a 2021 fourth round pick. Like I, I probably would have done that for a guy like him. I think that's the type of move that the Bucks could afford to make. He's still in a rookie contract, um, so if I had to pick one, like, and I'm not saying, oh man, like they completely missed out. Like it's it's a it's fine that they didn't get him because he's not like he's not a game changer, but might have been nice to have a guy like that. Absolutely, no, I'm with you 100. percent Now we got two more questions, and these ones are heavy hitters, and then of course we'll jump into some game preview for this Sunday's game against Atlanta. Our next question comes from Dalton again. He sent in really uh, two really good questions that I wanted to make sure we covered here on the show. This has been a hot topic on Twitter this week, and I've seen a little bit more as the film has come out for the past two games. Is Jameis Winston getting too much of the blame because of the play calling in Byron Leftwich? Um, and I'm sure people have seen it. If you haven't, we've seen... Some interesting play calling from Byron Leftwich, and I think two of the big things that pop out for me last week, especially, was you see a lot of offensive plays where you've got four receivers out of an empty backfield who all run the same exact route. (laughs) Like, we've seen some pretty interesting play calling. We haven't seen any drag routes. We haven't seen any slants. We see long-developing plays with some... Really not interesting routes. So, from AKA, wide. AKA Dirk Cutter's offense. Right. Do you think Jameis is getting too much of the blame? Because even one that I saw today, and I'm not saying it's the instance for every single time Jameis makes a mistake because he does make his mistakes. Mm-hmm. But Brian Baldinger did a breakdown today, and I'm sure you've seen it from the Saints yep. game, where pretty much. The routes that were run were all covered. Nobody really had to move out of their zone on defense to make sure a Bucks receiver was covered. Chris Godwin was covered. Whoever else was on the field was covered because I don't know off the top of my head. But what I'm saying is that we've seen this play calling set things up for failure because absolutely everyone is covered and there isn't a checkdown option. So is Jameis taking too much of the blame? Are we looking at his mistakes or are we looking at Byron and his play calling because... I'm starting to bring that into question more and more, and I know I'm late to the party, but uh, especially after last week, what's showing up on film is uh, not looking very good. Yeah, um, and actually, this is actually a really good question. Uh, I mean, I think it has some; it's valid. Um, I think it has it has some real validity to it. Yeah, um, I would say it's a little bit of both. Like, I, I think it's a it's a two way street, you know. Um, I think the play calling has not benefited Jameis Winston. Uh, like I said, this is similar to last year's staff in terms of the offensive philosophy and, and scheme. Uh, they ran the ball eight times on Sunday, uh, franchise low. Eight times, I believe Jameis Winston did it twice, so that's six times with an actual running back. And he still that, led the team in rushing. That can never happen again. Um, just can't happen. Um, but you saw it with Dark Cutter a lot, and you know, like, and everybody said, "Oh, this staff is going to fix it." Well, clearly they're not, right? Because they're they're running the same thing. And Bruce Arians was here to help and fix Jameis Winston, 
right? A lot of people said, oh, no, he's here to he's here, he's here to, to help Winston. He's not here to, to fix. James Winston doesn't need to be fixed. Okay, well, you, right now you're not doing either. You're, you're not fixing him because he's thrown, you know, 18 interceptions. That's his career high, and he's already at it with, what, what we got five or six more games to play? Yep, six games left. Um, so he's already at his career high. He's going to go over 18 interceptions. Um, because he's not going to go six straight games out of pick, right? And that's just not – I'm not just saying that because it's Jameis Winston. I, I Not many quarterbacks who have six straight games out of interception. And you also look uh, at uh, just the sheer interception numbers by themselves. Let me throw this out there. I think the last quarterback to really throw a ridiculous amount of interceptions was Eli Manning a few years ago. He threw like 25. So Yeah, Brett Favre threw over 20 in like 2005. Yeah. Um, but Brett Favre threw like over 20, like a few times in his career. So, um, he was on, a but, but I mean, everybody looks up, like looks at, uh, how many did Palmer throw that year? 21 or something. 22, 22 in Arians first year. Yeah. Like sure. But I mean, Palmer was a veteran quarterback. I don't know. Like Palmer really was uh, okay. Palmer was also in a terrible slump though. Like nobody yeah, really mentions it, but the Oakland years he had the year before. Oh, he was bad. Yeah. It was what thirteen touchdowns, sixteen interceptions, I believe, and then he was in, kind of... in his defense. Though that was the bad Oakland years. Yeah. Oh no, no, it definitely like, was. The those Oakland teams were were bad. Like yeah. they didn't have a defense. They didn't have an off. They didn't have nothing. Like at least in Tampa, you have weapons and stuff. The Raiders didn't even have weapons at that point. That was when they just drafted every fast guy. They were Darius yeah. Hayward Bay, <laughs> and you know, and everybody. They just drafted all them guys, and they just, they sucked. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways. Um, like I said, it doesn't help James Winston, the, the long developing routes, especially with this offensive line, uh, and also just sideline routes, right? We've sh- seen that Winston can throw the ball down the seam pretty well, but they just never do it. Uh, you have two vertical threats at tight end, Cameron Bright and OJ Howard. You have two vertical threats at wide receiver. Um, Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. I know I'm saying vertical, vertical offense. Well, not sideline. Don't have him run streaks down the sideline. Have him run right up the middle. Well, here's have something else as well. Right? Hit them the seam, and they just don't do it. I kind of mentioned it earlier as well, the lack of checkdowns, the lack of uh, quick slants, the lack of drag routes in particular. When yep. Chris Godwin ran a, drag route, uh, ran a drag route last week, what happened? It was a touchdown. It was a touchdown. It was a y- the, the biggest yak play that we've had in, what, like two years, three years? It seems I, I like, don't know about that. It, it seems like, well, it seems like this year, especially the common theme with well, the this offense, year. is this that, year, sure. right, that struggle to get the yards after catch. And when you have a guy with the athletic ability of Chris Godwin who can shake tackles, who can make a move, and to be frank, is pretty damn fast in his own right, mm-hmm. you can throw to him on a drag route. He's going to make people miss. And even if it's not a touchdown nine times out of ten, he'll get you a first down. And it always leaves that short check down option I just think they need to look into using those guys like that because yeah. I feel like honestly, when they want to take a shot, they just force it. Yeah, like it, well, it's, you leave uh, you leave Jameis with no other option but to take that yeah. shot thirty yards down the field. But also, I mean, just like you said, you know, quarterbacks are going to get all the blame. Quarterbacks are going to get all the praise, right? So, um, just what comes with the job, I guess. Yeah. But like, I mean, it's also like Winston. Like he's still shown like some bad decisions and stuff on like, and he's missed throws on some really good plays. Um, like that Scotty Miller throw was probably one of his best all year, right? Right on the money. Yeah. Um, 
it was actually right in front of me too. And I, I was, I was surprised when they called a touchdown because it was pretty clear to me that he was down. So yeah, um, like, as soon TV. as they called a touchdown, I just went like this. I was just like, he's down. <laughs> um, so um, yeah, like it doesn't, it doesn't help uh, either one. Um, Leftwich isn't helping Winston, but Winston also isn't helping. Right. Uh, right now, they just have to find that that medium ground. But I mean, overall, like nobody really wants to point out that the, the staff has been like pretty Very questionable. Yeah, like I mean, I don't know. I, I just don't understand. And you know, like Byron Leftwich, I feel like it's not all his fault because it's not like. You know, those guys still have a job to do. But with the offensive line the way it is, like, you got to know um, to be, you know, like, you got to know you got to run some slants. You know, yeah. they, they they run that that little play when they throw it right out to the running back, and it works almost every time, right? They have blockers go out. It's almost like a screen. Yeah. Uh, they have blockers go out, and it works almost every time. They did it a bunch in the Arizona game with Ronald Jones, and it worked. Um, and he had, if we remember correctly, 77 receiving yards that game. Yeah, something like that, yeah. Um, one thing I did want to bring up, though, and then we can move on to the next question. Uh, I sort of have this thing. I don't think the Bucks are that great at getting separation. Because if you if you look at the film, Mike Evans is a physical guy, right? He's not going to get separated from you. Yeah, well, He's the when guy he does, he gets flagged catch. for offensive pass interference. Mm, when the guy lines up offsides anyway, so yeah. Um, some dude, some dude, some New Orleans fan was like walking by me. I was like, "Oh yeah, it's all he does is push off." I was like, "Ah," I was like, I was like "Watch it." <laughs> <And> that's, <laughs> that's why I said one him. yard. Um. Anyways, but I mean, Chris Godwin, like he's not like you said, he has decent speed, but he's not a speed demon, right? Like to me, there's just not really many receiving threats on this team that can get a whole lot of separation. And you look around the league and it just seems like it's so easy for guys just to, you know, pick up a quick five, six, seven yards when they need to. Mm -hmm. It seems like it's so difficult for the Bucks to do that. Right. I mean. Just going back to what we had brought up, that play calling where you have the lack of a check down option, someone who can go four yards out on a route, grab the ball, and maybe run for two more. But, again, we just have to see how this offense adjusts their play calling. I don't know if they adjust very much, but they're going to have their hands full if they're not able to do anything against Atlanta because, again, it's going to be a high-scoring affair. At least I believe, but we'll see what happens. Let's move on to our final question. And, by the way, Dalton, dude, two really, really good questions. Yeah. Uh, but our final question comes from our friends at the Beware the Bay podcast. This is actually a new Bucks podcast uh, hosted by TV Uncle B and Micah Frink. Um, these guys do a pretty good job. They are still a new podcast, so go show them some love. I know they're on social media and uh, YouTube as well, so go check them out. But they ask this. Can the Glazers finally turn out the light for good? And, of course, light is spelled like Jason Light. Um, I say this one for last because I think it's the biggest hypothetical, at least, of, of what was given to us, aside from the Raymond James getting a roof. Um, and you're kind of looking, it's that time of the year where Jason Light's job is in jeopardy, as it is every year this time of year, but this year just feels a lot different. This year feels like the year they could actually cut the cord and bring in a new general manager for the box. And the reason this situation is so cloudy is because if Jason Light goes, is Bruce Arians going to stay? 
And if Bruce Arians goes, is Jameis Winston going to take his money and run to some other team in free agency? You know, it, it's kind of a domino effect of what the Glazers are going to decide to do with Light. Now, yeah. I'll say this. I have a strong feeling that Bruce is going to be here next year. But, again, that rides so much, at least I think it does, on what they do with Jason Light. Evan, what do you think? Like, what do you think, dude? If If I had to bet money... Like if I had to go on right now, and and bet bet actual money, I would bet that Jason Light's gonna be back, just because like you said, I expect Bruce Arians to also be back. I I do feel like just what Chris Fisher on Twitter said, you know, Bucks Brief podcast he used to do. Yep. Um, he's actually a fan of the show. Uh, so if you're listening to this one, thank you, Chris. I really appreciate it. Like I said, uh, you were big influence on on me and like how I you know. You know, uh, watched the Bucks and stuff, and like thought about different things. So, uh, thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. Um, quick little shout out there. Um, <laughs> We've had a few of them. <laughs> um, but you know, he said if one goes, it's almost guaranteed that the other two are gonna go. Right? right. If 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 like I can't really see a way. Let's say Bruce Arian says, you know what? After a year, I'm out on James Winston. The Glazers are going to look at that and say, okay, you need a new quarterback. We're not going to give Jason Light another chance to draft a quarterback. Right. So no GM gets two shots at drafting a first-round quarterback. So that means Jason's gone. So that's two. But then after that, why would Bruce want to stay? So that's all of them. Right. Right. If Jason gets fired, why would Bruce want to stay again? And then if Jason gets fired, that means they're going to bring in a new GM. And if Bruce is like, eh, on staying, they might hire a GM that doesn't want Winston at all. And and that's that. So if, like I said, if I had to bet money, I would say Jason Light's back just because I think Bruce Arians is back. Um, but it would not shock me uh, if, if, um, if they ended up moving on, you know, in this worst case scenario, next year, if things don't pan out. Because I think if Jason Light's back, Bruce Arians is back. If Bruce Arians is back, James Winston's back. Right. I think that's a one-year thing, right? It's next year. If they don't produce next year, I think all three are gone. Yeah. Um, no, I'm, and I'm, you I'm just you start – and that's where I think you might hear like almost like starting over, like Levante David gone, like like that that sort of thing. Mm. Levante David gone. Ryan Jensen gone. Um, you know, maybe like, like I'm almost like probably not, but I'm not saying to do this. There might be some talk of a Mike Evans trade. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying. New, it, there, guys, there would be a, there would be a new GM, new coach. Like, come on. Yeah, no, you're not wrong at all. And um, that's kind of part of bringing in that new regime is cleaning house, blowing things up, as people like to say, and shaping what will be your future. Because Mike Evans, the star that he is, he is a part of that old regime. He's been using, uh, losing for so long. And of I course, mean, and you're wasting you're wasting so many good years of Mike Evans right now, and it sucks, Just man, because it. he deserves so much better. He's, and, he's and now seven he... yards away. Yeah, well, he's starting his career. Yeah, he'll get it in one catch. Yeah, he'll, but he'll get those. He's sweet. seven yards away from being an NFL player who started first six straight seasons with a thousand yards. And you know what they're doing now? Losing. No, I know, but you know what they're also doing? <laughs> What's that? They're starting to waste Chris Godwin. You're not wrong, man. Now they're they're Chris Godwin is not the elite talent that Mike Evans is, but Chris Godwin is a darn good second wide receiver and probably maybe a first on some other teams, and they're wasting him too. 
Two so blocks in the top. So the, the longer this right goes on, receiving yards. The longer this goes on, the more you're just wasting it. Like I mean, you wasted Joe McCoy. I'm sorry, but you wasted Levante David already. Like yeah. you just have. Um, hang. Like come on. Like you're you're starting to waste Dolly Marpet. Like he's starting to. You know he's only going to get older. Yep. Uh, I, I don't know. No, I I get you 100%. But I'll say this. Again, things are kind of looking like the this current regime is going to get another shot at redemption next year because it's kind of hard to say that Bruce can't deliver after one year. We knew it was going to be an evaluation year. We knew that the schedule was going to screw us up badly, and that's exactly yeah, what but, it did. I mean, did Bruce expect to be 3-7? and seven? No. No, like, absolutely not. You, I don't you, think you say evaluation year, but I don't think... Um, yeah, I don't but think I, I mean... To be fair, he's looking at it from the scope of who he wants on this team next year because we saw it with Vernon Hargraves. He got cut because he couldn't play hard enough to be in Tampa. And we brought it up on the show that James was on last week in Sue, He should uh, be brought into question he should be 110% cut. because if they're going to go by that motto, yes, he should be cut. But he probably won't be here next year either. So I, I think you and I are both in agreement. This regime is going to get one more shot at it next year which is what seems most likely. But, of course, we just have to wait and see what happens, especially the finish of this season, and it starts with this week against Atlanta. So that is it for your submitted questions. Let's get in to some pregame for Atlanta as we wrap up the show here. Evan, I'm going to toss it to you. I've got one major thing that I'm looking at for this game on Sunday, and if you mention it, we'll talk about it. If you don't, perfect, we're still going to talk about it. But what are you looking at as these teams match up? I'm looking at whose defense plays better. Um, Julio Jones has just gone off against the Bucks. It seems like every single time. So, and this will be the first time actually that they're playing their Falcons all year. So this will be the first time that Todd Bowles will be able to see Julio Jones and, and vice versa. Yeah. Um, so Julio Jones has destroyed them every single time, right? No matter who the coordinator is, it just seems like he's just the guy that's just going to get his. And I understand he's going to get his, but he gets more than his right, when he plays against the Bucks. Yeah. Right. Uh, what was that? That one, it was tw- tw- 2017 in Atlanta when Julio Jones had like 271 receiving yards or something like three touchdowns, I think. Yeah. It was, it was a joke. And they, they tried like uh, 10 different coverages on him or something. None of them worked. Yeah. That, that, that was fun. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm looking at that, but, you know, we know what their cutters offense is, right? Like we know it's sort of like the Bucks offense now, which is unfortunate. Um, it's a lot of long plays, long developing plays, and there's going to be some opportunities for some, some turnovers, I think, because that offense really forces Matt Ryan to fit the ball into some tight windows. Um, Greg Allman actually brought up, speaking of Matt Ryan, though, and this is a big, big key, yeah. huge key. Um, so somebody asked Greg Allman, they said, how has Matt Ryan faced the Bucks, right, in in, um, in the game? So Greg Allman put out NFC South QBs versus Falcons since the start of 2016 season. Jameis is 1-4, but he leads one, in touchdowns. 1-4. You have 18 touchdowns, 4 interceptions. Has the most touchdowns, has the least amount of interceptions. Drew Brees is 3-4, and four, Cam Newton's 1-4. and four. And then Matt Ryan, in the current five-game win streak, the fact that the Bucs have, it feels like the Bucs have beaten the Falcons in, in five games, but they have not. 
Um, Five-game win streak versus the Bucks. Matt Ryan has 11 touchdowns and one interception. He's averaging 321 yards per game, over 70%, and 300 yards in four of the five. That's, like, you got to be better than that. Like, come it's, on. It's funny that you bring up this. I, oh, man. It's funny that you bring up this dirt cutter offense as well because that kind of transitions into what I'm looking at um, on the defensive side of the ball, and that's the secondary. But not only that, just the secondary personnel overall because you said, you know, it does open things up for some turnovers, and when you look at this secondary, the defensive side of the ball, if the front seven can do their job relatively well, sure, that's always a gamble, but... I'm assuming for this game, the main look on defense is going to be nickel. They'll probably play Sean Murphy bunting in the slot. Jamel Dean hmm. will probably play outside. Because well, we that's, that's that. what you thought last week, too. And, yeah, uh, right? Yeah, not, right? So. But we learned from that mistake. Jamel Dean is going to be on the field this Sunday. I'm assuming he'll play outside. SMB is going to move to the slot. Is it going to be enough to stop Julio and... Do you think those guys are really going to step up to the plate? And if an opportunity is there to intercept it, do you think they can do it? I mean, if the opportunity is there to intercept it, they should intercept it, right? Yeah. The problem is, are they going to be close enough to get the opportunity to intercept it? Julio freaking Jones, dude. <laughs> biggest thing, I could, I, I'm going to go back to it. Biggest thing is pass rush. Matt Ryan's another guy that if you keep hitting him, he's going to get flustered, right? Yep. He does best when he has time and he can look and look and look and – like they have Julio Jones, they have Calvin Ridley. Um, like I said, they don't have Austin Hoover for this game, so that helps. But um, won't have Mohamed Sanu throwing any touchdowns this week either. Yeah, thank the Lord yeah, we don't have to put up with that anymore. Um, so I mean, we'll see. I think they'll be okay. Obviously, like I said, Julio Jones is gonna get his. Like he is. He's he's just he 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 might get over a hundred yards. Like he he just might. He might score a touchdown. Yeah. He's that good. It just. It, he is. the The biggest thing is, can you limit him enough to where Matt Ryan isn't just dropping back every time and throwing to him for fifteen yards each and every time? Mm-hmm. That's where you get into trouble. Um, and like, it seems like the hotter Julio gets, that's when he starts to make like those ridiculous catches. Yeah. Uh, when he starts to get like really hot, um, we'll see. We'll we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, I would expect a higher scoring game though in this game. So yeah, uh, even though, like I said, like we said, the Falcons defense has played well, so it, it'll be interesting to see what type of Bucks offense shows up on Sunday. Definitely, it'll be one for the ages. I guess we're playing for last place. Well, <laughs> I won for this. Okay, sure. Yeah, but. yeah. Let's hype it up for what it is—the battle for last place. Um, so what we do here on the show every week. Uh, is something called the weekly checklist, and it's a little list I put together of things that the Buccaneers have to do if they want to win this game, especially against a red-hot division opponent like the Atlanta Falcons. First things first, we talked about the defense and the pressure that's going to be on the secondary, but let's flip the script. Let's talk about the offense, because this is where they seem to happen the most. Gotta limit the turnovers. Mm. I, I mean, that is what plagued us against New Orleans. You come out, Fresh out of the gate, you get a turnover in the first five minutes of the game. That's guaranteed points every single time. Early turnovers and the fact that Bruce Arians has to say we have a gifting habit, of course that's when you know it's going to be a problem. Just limit it, you know? And there's an extra step you can take as well. I'll combine these two. Limit the turnovers 
And another thing on the weekly checklist, you gotta commit to the run. I feel like I'm saying this every single week, but as we just talked about, running the ball eight times isn't going to get it done. And I'm sure that's a mistake that this coaching staff isn't going to make more than one time. So I'm expecting, hoping, that Ronald Jones gets the ball and not Peyton Barber a split amount of carries. I feel like we have to keep saying it. Ronald Jones needs to get the football. He had the inexcusable fumble against Arizona, and you know what? Maybe that's why he hasn't gotten the carries. Now that I put it all together, because the fumble yeah, but that he had Peyton against Barber Arizona, didn't either. It's not yeah, like Peyton Barber they didn't, didn't either, run the ball but, on Sunday. But really think about it, man. O.J. Howard had that terrible interception, and he didn't get targeted for the rest of the game. Happened against San Francisco. He had that really, really bad turnover because he just could not handle the football, and they didn't look his way again. Think about it. The way they're going about this. You think Ronald wow. Jones just kind of letting go of the football, proving that he can't carry it at all times, wasn't huge. If, um, wow, if, if that's how they're running it, that's ridiculous. Because it, it, it is. That, that's, almost, how, that, that's a high school team. That, that, that's, that's exactly what I was going to say. That's a high school football aspect. But the way that they've carried this mantra of if you can't play hard, you can't play in Tampa, Vernon Hargraves getting straight out cut. Okay, but but fumbling the ball is not do it playing no, it's not hard. Get you, it's not going to get you cut, but I'm saying it's a mentality. And I'm, I, I shouldn't feel get like, you benched. Like, it's, it's one play. Like, in the I, NFL, you're trying to win football games, right? High school, you're trying to win games, but you're also, you know, like the character thing. You're trying to build character and stuff like that, like leadership skills and teamwork skills. That's when you do that, right? If they're seriously looking at that and say, oh, all right, if he fumbled, he's done. No, like that's He's still not getting how you carries. Do it. We saw him split carries pretty much 50-50 the week after that. But I don't know. What, the week I'm, after the fumble of the New Orleans game, they didn't run the ball. They ran the ball eight times. Yeah, you're right. I'm thinking of so, uh, I'm thinking of that same week when they both ran the ball ten times. My bad. All these games kind of mesh together because when you lose, well, the Arizona game was a win. So <laughs> yeah, um. <laughs> But you got to limit the turnovers, and I think if you can commit to the run, obviously that's going to help limit the turnovers. Um, but just come with a balanced offense. Limit the turnovers. Commit to the mm-hmm. run game. That's all I'm asking for. Yep. I mean, I think that's how you're going to beat down that Arizona or, uh, Arizona. Defense, excuse me. Yeah, right? Right? It's that time of the year where everything starts to blur together, and uh, it, it just gets kind of hard to remember. But – Yes, limit the turnovers and commit to the run, which leads to less turnovers. One more thing on the weekly checklist, which we already kind of talked about. You got to contain Julio. And, Mm. of course, the pressure is on for this young secondary. We talk about it every single week. Jamel Dean probably going to be taking up a bigger role playing the outside cornerback position. But if there's any week that the front seven has to show up and do their job, it's this week. We just said, yeah. if you're going to beat Matt Ryan, you got to hit him. And if you hit him, he's not going to connect with Julio Jones. Boom. Mm-hmm. So whoever's covering him has the playoff. It's as easy Well, and as also, they got to put Jamel Dean or Carlton Davis on Julio Jones. <laughs> One of my biggest things. It'll probably be Carlton. Probably, and that's fine. But one of my biggest things, they lined up Sean Murphy Bunting against Michael Thomas. In that game on Sunday, more times than I can remember, I was like, "What are the, like? What are you doing? Yeah. Like that? That's a recipe for disaster. You're putting a nickel corner, like, like the the hopes for Vernon Hargreaves was that he could be he was a outside corner, right? You know, you drafted Sean Murphy Bunting with the intent of putting him in the nickel. Then why are you playing him outside against one of the game's best receivers when Sean Murphy, when the game's that guy Michael Thomas has a 
clear height advantage over Sean Murphy Bunting. Like, clear. Like, Statistically best wide receiver in the NFL right now. I mean, yeah. You got to take things like that into account. But, you know, with these uh, with these division games, they're always so hard to predict. There's a lot of different things you're looking at. But I think between the both of us, the biggest thing that we're looking at is this young secondary and the defense as a whole and how they can contain Atlanta. Because when that dirt cutter offense gets humming, it gets humming. But when yep. you shut it We've down, seen it. We've seen it. But when you shut it down, that's when you see interceptions. And that's when hopefully this young secondary or whoever's playing on defense can take advantage and get some turnovers to Whoever help, they put out there. help slim that margin a little bit because, good God, turnovers are just not on our side this year. Oh, man. But, ladies and gentlemen, that's just about going to do it for this episode of the Cannon Fire Podcast. Thank you so much for listening on our podcast outlets or checking us out with video on YouTube or BucksReport.com. You can follow the show on social media. We are on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. All of those are at Cannon Fire Podcast. You can follow myself on Instagram and Twitter at Redicus, and you can follow my co-host Evan on Instagram and Twitter at BucksWave. Before we go, I do have to give a quick shout-out to our sponsors at Pinecrest Printing and Signs and remind you about the beautiful merchandise that we have for sale courtesy of these guys if you have an image for your business they've got you covered in more ways than one anything you can imagine marketing wise stickers apparel posters banners vehicle wraps it dude if you're thinking about getting your car covered up in a cannon fire podcast vehicle wrap and sporting us around the tampa bay area they're gonna do it for you not that anyone would except for me they should except for maybe me because we've got some pretty dope color scheme you should yeah, Go ahead, you, do it. You totally it's... should. But if you really want to do that, they're going to take care of you. They've been doing it for 18 years, and they're going to do it for 18 more because they are simply the best in the business when it comes to brand marketing. So give them a call, 813-684-5444, or check out their website at pinecrestprinting.com. I am Rhett Matthew, signing off for Evan Wanish, and we will catch you guys next time. Go Bucks. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.